I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. As we move our way through the book of Genesis, um, uh, there's, uh, this is kind of a transition passage here. But it does not lack the depth and the gravitas, we might say, that uh, you would think there is still much to be learned in this passage. So Genesis chapter 9. By the way, you see the, the elements here. We will be taking communion after the service. Uh, Justin will be leading that. But um, So even now, prepare your hearts for, for the receiving of the elements. Genesis chapter 9. We'll begin reading in verse 18. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem... Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Then, or when Noah awoke... From his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tent of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Now, Noah lived through 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being able to sing praises to you. What wonderful songs these are that lift our hearts and allow us to focus upon you. Now, Lord, as we focus upon your word, may... We be attentive. May we be clear. I pray for understanding. And then, Lord, I pray for changed hearts. I pray that your word would accomplish what you would have in our lives today. Just thank you for the privilege of being able to read your word, study, and then proclaim your word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sin is always working. Sin is always at work in the hearts of men, especially the unbeliever. And we, we would expect that, but also in the lives of the believer. And you know that in your own heart. Um, it's always working. It's always making excuses. It's always manufacturing idols. It's always driving a wedge, if you will, between relationships. It's always enslaving the will, hardening the heart. It's always twisting the truth. It's Always questioning authority. It's over, over-analyzing motives. It's confusing the mind. It's elevating the pride. It's 
It's pounding us into submission. It's always trying to escape responsibility. And ultimately, though, it's, it's defying God. Ultimately, that's what it's doing. It's building up a defiance. It's building up, if you will, an army against God, a, a castle with the moat, with the, the walls, everything. It's building. It's constantly building. And that's why believers have to fight, have to fight against it. We have to come back every day and tear down those walls that sin continues to build. The, the, the army, the castle that it's trying to build in our hearts. It's like grass. Grass has to be mowed on a regular basis. The whiskers on our face, our legs, have to be, have to be cut. Warts on our skin. There's things that grow that we don't want them to be there, so we have to cut them. And the more a believer becomes aware of his own sinfulness, the more the, the things that he sees in his own life the worse he sees his life, the, the more sinful that he sees. The, it, it gets worse and worse, it seems like. Now, the problem is, so often, is we want to blame that sin on someone else or something else. We want to blame it on Satan. We want to blame it on the world. We want to blame it on our, the circumstances of our life, uh, other people, someone else. We blame ship. That's what sin does. A sinful heart, something outside ourselves, because we don't want to face the fact that we are in and of ourselves are sinful. We, we like to think of ourselves as good people. I'm, I'm a good person. I would never think like that. I would never do that kind of thing. Nonetheless, though, sin is at work and we can rest assured that every heart in this room is sinful heart. We just we just are. We have the even a changed heart has the resilient resilient. Uh, resilient effect of sin. It's it's a it's like a a paint can that might be empty, a red of red paint, but you can tell there used to be red paint in that can. That's the way our hearts are. Now in this passage, we see the first recording of the first record of of sin after the flood, and it comes from an unlikely source. In fact, we could say a disappointing source. Um, this section also acts as a, a transition. I mentioned this before. From one generation to the next generation, from Noah and the flood, the, the telling of the story, the, the record of the, the flood, to the filling of the earth. Um, in chapter 10, we'll see the, the table of nations. We'll see how uh, the, the earth was filled and it comes down to the connection here. It comes down to these three sons of Noah. And the baton is being passed from one generation to the next generation. And it's, uh, and it's already being filled with sin. And there's already issues here. Right out of the gate, right out of the ark, we're seeing issues among mankind. And that just shows that the, the sinfulness of man crossed over. It was not eradicated by the flood. It was in the hearts of those on the ark. Now, you, you say, well, what's the, the big deal here? Why is Moses recording this? Well, remember who he's writing this to. This is, he is 
recording this for the children of Israel. God is giving this to this revelation to Moses, and he's writing this for the children of Israel. But also, we need to be learning from this today. This is for us as, as well. And I want us to understand the significance of this passage. So often, um, we would look at this and just say, well, what's the big deal? It's just a small little sin. Nothing really bad happened. Why such an overreaction? That might be our understanding of this until we set the tone. We need to, to be reminded of the, the setting here, the context here. So I want to go back and, and somewhat do that. Noah was declared by God. He was seen by God as a righteous man. And a righteous man, being a righteous man, he's fostered that righteousness, that righteous lifestyle even, into his family. Now immediately when you see a righteous family, you think, ah, hypocrites. If you look closely enough, you're going to see sin. And you'd be right. But I don't think that makes them hypocrites. They're just trying like everyone else. But you can just rest assured there's sin going to be there. Noah and his family had seen, remember this as well, Noah and his family had seen the wickedness of men. They knew wickedness. They knew sin. That's why God had destroyed the earth. And they probably responded the same way God did in that he was repulsed by this sin and he wanted to eradicate this and and he sent the flood. Now notice also, remember that they saw they saw the devastation of the flood. They've seen the the wrath of God. They know what God thinks about sin and that God punishes them, punishes the evildoer. He destroys them. They've seen that. They've probably learned that sin is bad. They they know that. In fact, it probably develops a stronger sense of the fear of the Lord in their hearts. I would I would say that's a safe assumption. The fear of the Lord. They've seen they've seen what God can do. They've seen His power and His wrath. And so I'm sure that they're careful about their righteous life. Um, they're careful about their daily habits. Okay, that's what I mean by that righteous life. And replacing sinful habits with, uh, they're carefully, careful to develop righteous habits within their lifestyle. And I'm sure Noah, being a godly man, was, was working in his family's life to produce those things. In contrast to the wickedness of society. They lived in a wicked society. But we could just rest assured again. And we can know. That even in a godly family, sin is not absent. It is active. It is working in the hearts of even the believer. And we can say, oh, hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. But we just have to remember that we're all sinful. We're all sinful. And although we, they have developed this habit of righteousness, we can rest assured that man that the sin is working. And it might just be just below the surface, just in the heart level. Maybe they develop the habits. So they have the habits of righteousness. But again, rest assured that sin is not absent and the heart is still wicked. And I think that's what's going on here. That sin occasionally rises up and it, it exposes the heart. And that's important for us to understand. The hearts are, are being exposed here. And there's a principle that I want you to see. The sinful heart will always expose itself, no matter how careful we are, 
in, in some action. It will expose itself in some act unless it is dealt with. This sin is dealt with on the heart level. We have to battle sin within our heart. We have to battle it inside before it gets out. Does that make us hypocrites? No. No. But it just matters. It, it, uh, it, it shows where the battle lies. It's not an external battle. It's an in-heart battle. And I think we can learn some things that's going on here. Because we want to ask the question, how do we then deal with an ever-growing sinful heart before our sin becomes public? Before it gets out? Before it takes action? We know that heart is bent toward sin. How do we control that? How do we cut the grass on a weekly basis, on a regular basis? So we see the baton being passed. We'll see the significance of this event. And then we'll see the consequences of this. I want you to first see. Let's look at the baton being passed here. And that's in verses 18 and 19. Now the sons. If you look at the the passage. Now the sons of Noah. Who came out of the ark. Were Shem and Ham and Japheth. Now so far so good. They were already introduced to us back in chapter 6. They were godly men. Along with their father. And Ham was the father of. Of Canaan. Now, why does he give us that information? We'll see that in just a minute. But but just notice that the only grandson that's mentioned of Noah is Canaan, and that's the grand the son of Ham. Verse nineteen: These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. In fact, we look around today, and and every one of us came from these three families. And all of the genetics that we see, uh, the, the, the family traits, all of the uh, g- genetic traits, the, the uh, uh, physical characteristics, they came from these three families. And of course, Noah and his, his wife as well. Every nation and every family came from there. There's only one race, folks. Now, it's important then, and, and they understand the significance of, of where they are in history, that they're populating the earth that they're going to feel that it's going to be three families here that fill the earth and it's important and i think they understood the importance of carrying on to the next generation this godliness they want to not just penetrate the world with with uh people but righteous people godly people and that godliness need to be carried on and it's going to come down to these three these three men these three families, um, and they're on their own because their their father. They know that he's going to be he's going to be dying, and maybe they even see the decline in his family. Now, these three boys has already been hard on them, hasn't it? I mean, can you imagine raising, uh, being raised, uh, 120 years of your life is is building an ark, and and people ridiculing you, and people making fun of you, and being ostracized. That's a heavy weight in and of itself. And then have a righteous father. Who who was walking with God and leaving a legacy and you see him and you know your own righteous, unrighteous heart. And you think, I can never live up to that. I can never live up to that. It's going to come down to one thing, and that is character. Character. These three boys, these three men, what is their character? What's inside them? Is there a genuine uh, 
regenerated heart? Do they love the Lord? Will they love the Lord? Will they walk with Him by faith? Will they have high regard and develop righteous actions within their own lives that are seen out into their children? Will they continue their father's pattern or will they break from that pattern and walk away from the Lord? Now, the question is, why is Ham uh, singled out here? Uh, It's actually Ham's son that is mentioned most, and that is Canaan. And you have to remember, he's singled out here because Moses is writing this to the children of Israel and they're on the plains of Shinar there and they're getting ready to attack who? The enemies of God and that was the Canaanites. And so what's happening is, is Moses is laying this foundation for them to see that these Canaanite people, this is, this is where things started this is the real problem here. And we've seen this, uh, this developing in, in generation after generation after generation, but it started here. And these people are under God's judgment, and, and it justifies what uh, they can go in and dispossess those people, the Canaanite people. And it comes down to the character of Ham. <laughs> what, what was he like? And what you see is his heart was exposed, and we see... Some sinfulness here that I think is important for us to see. These three, um, their character is getting ready to be exposed. In this one event, we'll see that. Were they just pretending because dad's there? Or was there real religion? Was there a real faith? Was there a real trust in the Lord? Now, we see that today, don't we? We see a lot of people within churches just pretending, just kind of going along with the with the uh, the, the course of the day, maybe the traditions of their fathers kind of thing, without the reality. There was a, a young restless and reform movement that came through, and you look at those those young guys, and they were so energetic, so involved in theology, and all of a sudden they just get disillusioned, and, and they're gone. And you just think, where did they go? What happened? And, and that's a danger for many of us, isn't it? We have to be very careful that, that, that we are doing this from the reality of our own heart, from the character of our own heart. Number two, so, so that's the, you see the, uh, the situation there. You see the baton being passed. And now let's look at the issue here. What's the real issue? Verse 20, we see, Then Noah began farming. So far, so good. Nothing wrong with that. It just indicates that things are beginning to grow again. The the earth is being replenished. It's a wonderful thing. And he planted a vineyard. Nothing again. Nothing wrong with that. Wonderful thing. And he drank of the wine and became drunk. That's a pretty concise little statement. And he uncovered himself inside his tent. So a couple of things there. We see a, a start. It all starts here with Noah's uh, indiscretion, we'll call it. It starts with, it involves wine here. Um, but I want to point out something in my reading. I, I noticed, it, I thought this was just interesting, that the Christian scientists of today are saying Back in that day, before the flood, there was a a canopy over the earth, and I've mentioned that several times. When that canopy collapsed, uh, the the UV rays from the sun came in, and the the world began to to heat up. In fact, they say it would have been 
uh, big climate swings. In fact, that may have been may have been one of the causes of the of the ice age is this climate swinging back and forth. And so one of the things that was mentioned that uh, the formation of uh, the the uh, fermentation of these grapes may have been uh, escalated. They, they, they fermented faster because of the intense heat. And that's clearly some of that is going on. This global changing of that day after the flood. Um, but the real problem seems to be in the, the drunkenness here. That he gets drunk. Now, it might have been an accident. Maybe he didn't know. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe he did know. We, we don't know here. But the real focus is, is what he does when he's drunk. And that is he disrobed himself. And again, it shows a, a, a climate that's, that's warmer than what Noah was used to. And so he probably had his tent doors open there. And maybe, uh, maybe he's sitting underneath inside his tent, but letting the air flow. And he takes, he disrobes in his drunken state. Okay? And he does so with wine. And so I have to, to touch on that. He, he drinks the wine and becomes drunk. Now, Wine is not forbidden in Scripture. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. In fact, we see in Scripture uh, that wine gladdens the heart. It, it makes happy. In fact, Christ turned water into wine. It's a, it's a good thing. It can be a good thing. We also know that they would mix, they would put wine into water. So it was usually watered down at least a, a little bit. And a lot of times they would do that just to... Uh, to uh, get rid of the, the taste in the water. And so they would water it down much of the time. But also, there is very little choices to, to drink back then and compared to what we have today. I went to Burger King yesterday. Great place. I encourage you to go to Burger King. That's my little commercial, right? You go to Burger King, and I go, I take my cup, they give you the cup, you go to the little machine there. It's not... A machine or a computer, whatever. In fact, you can take your phone now and take a picture of the little square box uh, thing and, and you can pull up all your drinks options onto your phone. I'm thinking, what, what's that? I mean, that's, in, that's amazing. And there's, you know, 10, 15 choose, things to choose from. Well, you push one, you begin to realize that's just an icon to, to even more. And it opens up to, to probably thousands of combinations of drinks. If you want... You know, well, it just gives you a wide variety, right? Well, they didn't have that back then, right? They didn't have those those things to to choose from, and so they're pulling from these things. and And Noah Noah gets drunk. In Scripture, we find that that mixed drinks, mixing these drinks, was forbidden. Strong drink is forbidden. Uh, there was. Uh, uh, the, the, when the priests were functioning, doing their priestly duties, they were uh, forbidden from drinking wine. The Nazarite vow forbade uh, drinking wine. And what we see in scriptures in multiple places is warnings. Warning. And it's not so much, you know, we, we don't like warnings today <laughs> because we love our freedoms and we love our grace. We, we, we live under grace and that's, that's so true. But this issue, I'll just say this, this issue is not so much a matter of legalism. It really isn't. 
It's a matter of wisdom. And that's what you see really throughout Scripture. It's just warning. Just warning. Be, be wise here. And that's what you see. And I want to go through some verses just kind of as a, a warning for us here. Just because it's appropriate in the text for us to do so. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 6. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. So there's a, a proper place. If I'm on my deathbed, you know, put... Well, today we just have morphine or some kind of strong drug. Give me something to, to kill the pain. And wine to him who is whose life is bitter. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. That's the, that's the idea, is not wise. Hosea chapter 4, verse 11. Harlotry, wine, new wine, take away the understanding. Keep that in mind. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 4. It is not for kings... O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, for they will drink and forget what they have decreed, what is decreed, and pervert the rights of all of the afflicted. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 7. And these also reel with wine and and stagger with strong drink the priest and the prophets reel with strong drink they confuse they are confused by wine they stagger from strong drink they reel while having visions they totter when rendering judgment that just shows how far Israel had gone that their priests and their prophets they they were intoxicated even while proclaiming the the words of the Lord it's a terrible place to be. Isaiah chapter four, 5, verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may pursue drink, strong drink. Woe uh, who, who stay up late in the evening, that wine may influence them. That's what they do. They linger over that. And he says, there's a warning here. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29 through 30. Who has woes, who has sorrows, who has contentions, who has complainings, who has sorrow without cause, who has redness of eyes, those who linger over wine, those who go to taste mix, mix wine. And what they're doing is they're trying to escape from life, escape from the reality, just to try to feel good. And what they do, this passage, they're making it worse on themselves. It's worse. It doesn't make anything better in the end. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the end, so, so there's a allure there. there there's a, a, a temptation there. He said, don't be tempted by that. There's an allure there. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. It has worse consequences than you would even imagine. And I can just, I know in my own family, my grandfather, those immediate family, I've seen alcohol ruin their, their lives. And in certainly Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a controlling element of wine and and being intoxicated. 
And he says, you need to be controlled by the Spirit. In your mind, even on the heart level, we have to be careful. So Noah, there was some indiscretion here, whether it was an accident or just trying to escape the, the pain of the loss that he has seen or just trying to feel good. But there's some, there's some not, no wisdom here. There was a, a lack of, of wisdom. And he gets drunk. Let's look at the ha- uh, Ham's sin here. Because clearly, in verse 22, he says this, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, that seems a little vague, um, and it's kind of unclear, but clearly something, there was some sin within, within Cain, I'm sorry, within Ham. Um, we, we don't know exactly what that sin is. There's a, there's a lot of suggestions that have come up. Um, some have suggested that Ham got uh, his father drunk uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15. Or some people say, well, this is a reference to a sexual encounter with, with Ham and his father. Some say that, uh, no, this is referring to incest, uh, that Ham had relations with his mother, and they would point to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 30. But really, there's no reason to... To, uh, and there's really no support for that uh, within the text. There's, there's nothing really that we can point to that says that there's something other than just the nakedness of, of Noah. No, no indication is of sexual deviant behavior here in the plain reading of the text. And so the plain reading of the text indicates that um, Ham... He dishonored in some way his, his father. And I want to think about that. Maybe he saw his father and maybe he was, he was just glad, glad that his father failed. Glad that he sees his father in a drunken stupor like that. And, and he's lost his dignity. He's lost his authority that he would have in, in Ham's eyes. In fact, his authority would have been reduced and so that he then can look down upon his own father with disgust, with humiliation, with dishonor. And, and that, again, exposes his own heart. Maybe there is some resentment even toward his father that's, that's finally coming out. So then what he does in verse 23, we see him going to his brothers. He goes outside to his brothers, but, notice that word, but in contrast, his brothers didn't respond in the same way he did. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and they covered their father. Ham didn't do any of that. They covered the garment. In fact, they did so in such a way that uh, that they did not see their father's nakedness. I'll, I'll read that. Um, and they laid it, uh, took a garment, laid it upon both of their shoulders, so it'd be like this, and they probably put this blanket, and they walked in, walked in backwards and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see the nakedness, their father's nakedness. Twice they, it says that their faces were looking forward. Why would that be? They did not want to dishonor their father, even in their own mind. That's a noble character. That's a noble character. That's a it's a sharp contrast to what Ham did, who was probably dishonoring his father, maybe even making fun of his father a little bit. But his brothers didn't share in that disrespect. 
Now, the emphasis of this passage is upon that. Not, not some kind of sexual uh, affair or anything like that. It's just the, the very simple, Ham dishonored his father. Now, this brings up a command that, that we really don't hear much very, uh, very much today. In fact, we look at this and say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? But God has explicitly said, and they would have known this, they would have known this passed down from generation to generation, to honor your father and mother. That's what God wants. That's a godly lifestyle. It's to, to honor those who are in authority over you. That starts with, with the father and their mother. Authority figure. And, and anything less than that would, would be attributed to some kind of rebellion in the heart. Now think about that. Rebellion in the heart. And rebellion in the heart in the, in the Old Testament was equal to uh, witchcraft. Rebellion, even on a heart level, it, it, when it began to work its way out, it, it carries the death penalty with it. There was capital punishment for those who rebelled against their parents. That's pretty strong language. And here, Ham's heart was exposed. He was, he was dishonoring his father. Dishonoring his father. Just with a look. <laughs> he, he just saw. He just looked. Um, a look exposes the heart, doesn't it? It tells what's going on kind of deep down. Eve saw the fruit. And he, she said, it looks good. She saw it, and it looks good to make one wise. Lot's wife looked back, didn't she? Well, there's a lot in that statement. Israel was so afraid of God, especially at first, they would not look toward God. Solomon says, I I went by the field of a lazy man, and I saw, and he says, I took instruction. I received instructions. David looked at Bathsheba, didn't he? There's a lot of, a lot in a look. Moses, though, he was able to climb up on the mountain and look into uh, the promised land. There's a lot of longing in that look. Christ was tempted by Satan to look. John says there's a, a lust of the eyes. But I think the biggest one in the New Testament is the, the, the look of the, the Pharisee. Scribes and the Pharisee, and they would look, and he was praying, and he looked over and he saw this tax collector. And you can, you could see the, the pride in his own life, in his own heart, just by that one look. But the, the tax collector, what does it say? He wouldn't even look up to God. He kept his face down. It reflects the heart. Someday Israel's gonna look on whom they have pierced, John says. There's a lot in the look. A, lot of, a look can even expose the heart. Now, listen, we are so tempted to just laugh at the world's sinfulness. There's going, to be, there's going to be people marching today. There's going to be protesters. We can laugh at them, make fun of them. Or do we look at, at them at pity? And say, Lord, if it weren't for the grace of God, my heart would be right there. My my mind would be so confused with sin, I would be right there. My eyes would be blinded, and and there would be a, 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 there should be a pity, a, a broken heartedness because of the blindness of our age, because of sin, because of sin. So how do we look at the world? How, how do we look 
toward people? What do we look, how do we look at authority? We have to be careful. Ham, he didn't help his father. But in fact, he humiliated his father, tried to get his brothers to be involved in that. And his heart was exposed. Let's go on to the next and look at the results in verse 24 and 27. When Noah woke from his wine, he knew what his younger son had done to him. And he said, Cursed be Cain, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. And also said, Bless the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jephthah and let him dwell in the tent of Shem but and let Canaan be his servant. Now, you see it, it should be in poetic form in your, in your scripture. It's a, just a statement that was probably carried on from one generation to the next generation. And there's cursing going on here. Cursing of Cain. It, um, Ham did the sin, but that attitude was probably passed on. Because it's, it, these Canaanites, or these Canaan, this uh, descendant of Ham, Canaan, became the, the Canaanites. In fact, all of this, history just plays this out. It's exactly what was happening. And, and Moses wanted the children of Israel to see that so they would have the foundation of why they're doing what they're doing. And, and what's happening is a pecking order that's happening here. Cain, Canaan was at the bottom. They were, to be, they were to be judged by the Lord because of the character that's going to be passed on from generation to generation. The other two were blessed by the Lord. In fact, it's the, the uh, blessed be the, the Lord, the God of Shem. Shem became, the, the descendants of Shem became the, the Semite people. And we even use the term anti-Semite today. That's the Jewish people. It come from the descendants of, of Shem. And Japheth was in their, in their tent. They were protected by Shem. But Shem was God's people. And both of them were elevated because their hearts were exposed. But this is where, this is where it started. This was the seedbed of, of the next generation. In fact, multiple generations after that. And Ham's sin exposed his own heart, left a foundation and, and of justification for God to judge the Canaanite people. And Shem, though, on the other hand, didn't want to dis, dishonor his father. What we see here is a noble character from both of these men. Shem and Japheth. Noble character. Even in their, their own mind, even in their own hearts, they were guarding their hearts against, against even looking at their father's nakedness. That's noble character. That's the kind of character that we're created to have, folks. A noble character. To do that kind of, of thing. It just reminds me, of the noble character of Christ. And I was just thinking about this. Because Christ came to this earth. And everybody wanted something from Him. They, they wanted Him to, to uh, uh, establish the kingdom here on earth. But He had one focus in mind. And that was to please His Father. Don't get me distracted. He pleased His Father. Whatever the Father wanted, that's what He wanted to do. That's noble character. He did not want to dishonor His Father. It's noble character. That's the kind of character, folks. That the, the new life produces in us. We are equipped to have that kind of character. The next 
two verses, Noah lived 350 years after the flood. And so the days of Noah, this is just completing what started in verse in chapter 5. Noah lived 950 years and he died. The result, the final result of sin was is death. And Paul mentions that in Romans chapter 5. He says, just as though one through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin. So we know. We know the problem that man has is sinfulness. Now you see, what do we do with this? I want to apply this just very quickly here. Let's just apply this. How, how, do we, how do we keep our hearts clean, folks? How do we keep our hearts clean before that sin is worked out in our life? Let me give you, in Romans chapter 6, it's very clear. We are to kill sin in our life. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. Don't feed that sin. Consider yourself to be dead. Starve that sin out. How do you do that? Well, he gives us that in chapter 12 in verse 1. Therefore, therefore, this is the second element. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. This is your mindset. Presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That has to be our mindset. We are completely God's. He owns us. And that means even our heart, that we keep a pure heart before Him. It's a total surrender of, of life, a total transformation of the life here. Today we have this idea we just accept Christ into our life. The, the kind of Christianity that we see in Scripture is that we drop everything that we have and follow Him. We don't just add Him onto our lifestyle that we want. No, we drop our lifestyle and follow His lifestyle. Number three. Number three. And this is the key. Verse two. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what is the will of the Lord is. That is, what is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're not to be conformed to the world. Now, I want you to think about this. Conformity means that, that it goes contrary to our nature. It goes contrary to our, my nature has been changed now, so I would, I would be conforming to the world if I, if I did that. It, it, for the Christian, someone that's been, their nature has been changed from the inside, they are being transformed. They're changed from the inside. They're growing and changing on the inside because of that new nature. It would be contrary to my nature to, to be conformed to the world, so don't do that. Now, here's what I'm afraid that we have today is a lot of people come into the church and they're just trying to be conformed to the church or conformed to to the truth instead of being transformed from within. And that's a danger. It's not me just trying to be better and better and better, putting on artificial uh, laws onto my own life. That's not at all Christianity. It's being transformed from the inside, inside. Carl Dingus obeys the law, obeys the Word of God, because there's a new Carl Dingus there that wants to, and this goes to the third point, wants to please God with his life. That, that has to be our, our mindset. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, a verse you would, you would know well. Whatever, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The goal of the life of the believer is to glorify God, even, even on a heart level. On the heart level. It's, 
we pursue righteousness. We, we know what God wants. We pursue what God wants here. We under, to understand what God wants. And then we do it. We line up with His value system. Now, what we see here is the indiscretion on Noah's part. We see a deeper sin on Ham's part. But what we see is it's not so much egregious sins here that are being being condemned. Especially if we compare it to the world standards today, our low standards today, we'd see what's the big deal? It's no big deal. But those those little things expose the heart to the very character. If um, if sin is not constantly battled in the heart. If sin is, is not mowed down every day, taken care of every day, then it will grow. It will be like a fortress. It will have its moat. It will be like a castle. It will have its army if, if we don't take care of that sin. Sin is always working. Sin is always growing. It's always there. And it has to be, has to be dealt with. Cain didn't deal with the sin in his own heart. His heart wasn't transformed, probably. And as a result, multiple generations did sins that were atrocious. And the Lord says, I want them wiped out. We have to guard our hearts, folks. We have to be very careful to keep our hearts clean. Let's go to the Lord. In prayer, Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for just the clarity of Scripture, the simplicity of Scripture. Um, Lord, may we examine our own heart. Help us, Lord, to to take care, to, to, to kill the sin in our own heart. Help us, Lord, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind from the inside. Help us, Lord, to have a goal of just to please you. To do what you would want us to do in every area of our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.